the queer mainstream. Seven hours of radical and marginalized queer voices going beyond the mainstream gay movement. You will hear voices from the radical LGBT community from around the world and around the Bay, bringing you cutting-edge queer art, culture, and analysis. We will present a radical critique of same-sex marriage and a critique of the mainstreaming of the gay movement. The voices of queer immigrants, black trans men, and queer activists in Europe, Russia, and elsewhere, challenging homophobia and much, much more. So tune in on Sunday, June 30th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. and from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. on 94.1 FM or listen live at kpfa.org. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is a minute past 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover. I'm Raina Cowan. Welcome to this edition of Cover to Cover, Open Book, or as I like to call it, Frame to Frame. Uh, we're here to talk about film for the next half hour. We'll end with an interview uh, with Agnes Godar, uh, one of the most uh, fascinating cinematographers um, uh, working today in France. And uh, she's she's here. She was here for an interview with me. Uh, her She's a whole series of Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley that ends today with 35 shots of rum, and we'll get into that in a while. But I wanted to start by talking about Frameline, the San Francisco International Lesbian Gay uh, Transgender Film Festival. And uh, every year this is a fascinating film festival. This year there's something kind of remarkable that's happening, which is so many of the films are dealing with issues of acceptance or transformation by uh, uh, gay or straight allies. And uh, with me to talk about this in a unique way is the director of the new film, The New Black, Yoruba Richin. Welcome to KPFA. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, so we have to start by saying that your film tells the story of how the African-American community is grappling with uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights in lights of the whole marriage equality issue. <laughs> and right. and uh, this week was sort of a kind of a dynamic sort of shift in where things were. So... Um, but you were talking primarily about what happened in Maryland. So I want to go and talk about Maryland. But first, it seems like we should talk a little bit about, um, have you been in contact with some of the people who are in the film that you made and uh, how they've responded to this news? Because you've talked both to um, black members of the church who are against, who are for, and then as well as all these wonderful community organizers who had spent like years of their lives trying to get uh, gay marriage be uh, an issue in the forefront of civil rights. Right, right. Uh, well, we have been um, touring the film uh, since the beginning of June, so I have been with some of the main characters for this past month, and um, we've been, you know, anxiously every week w- awaiting what the Supreme Court's decision, uh, with the, the Supreme Court decisions, and of course it came down this week. And so... They will be at the screening tomorrow. So this will be the first time that we'll all we'll be together again since uh, the decisions two, two days ago. So we're very, you know, it's kind of a, it's a momentous uh, moment. And um, the film 
ends on election day in 2012 when the uh, ballot initiative in Maryland was passed. But my characters who are working, you know, for marriage equality were also, um, you know, when they uh, had were at the Supreme Court, were rallying at the Supreme Court, you know, when they were hearing the case. So this is, you know, as you said, they've devoted their lives to it in the past, you know, uh, previously, and they have continued. Um, so it's an exciting time for, for all of us, especially for them. Now, there are many different ways that you could have made the film The New Black. Um, there's so many things that you could focus on uh, because it's such an important topic and certainly in California there was this whole issue which uh you know the film deals with which is how has the African American community responded to proposition 8 and on which which side were they on and what would that mean and uh there's been all these changes that have happened both for example even with the Mormons who were so active um have taken a different position uh, in terms of the the Mormon hierarchy but I'm I'm sort of wondering about how did you figure out which thread to start with to build from you know being in San Francisco and screening at the Castro is a homecoming in a lot of ways for me. Um, I lived out here in the 90s and I, I actually worked at Frameline uh, as well um, when I started to get into documentary film but also I was here in 2008 when um, the election of our president of Barack Obama and the passage of Proposition 8 and the thing that struck me as uh, the reason you know how I started looking at this topic and why is because the night that President uh, Obama was elected and Proposition 8 was passed, pretty much the next day, African-Americans were blamed, literally blamed for its passage. And I was very confused <laughs> and curious about why these two groups were being pitted against each other. And that's where I started. What was going on? What were the dynamics around that? Um, and why was that happening? And that is where I started. And I found, you know, I started looking into the various, um, uh, you know, things surrounding that, why, you know, how the LGBT uh, community didn't really work with really people of color, especially black people, and sort of just assume that they were going to support marriage equality, and that didn't happen. Um, the Christian right and their work in working with black church figures on an anti-gay political agenda. And then, of course, the folks who were working to bridge that gap. Um, and that's how I came to my one of my main characters, Sharon. And for her, too, it was also the reason why she started working on this issue, because she came from a civil rights background and felt um, acutely how... African-American LGBT people in this pitting against each other of gays and blacks, African-American LGBT people were lost and were shut out. So that's really where the film starts. And then what happened is that Maryland became an issue in around the spring of last year. Um, and it kind of brought together all these different pieces that I was looking at. Um, and so I started following that story. And, uh, and, but through that story, we tell, you know, the story of these larger dynamics and issues that are happening, uh, in the black community around, around gay rights. You did this film fast. 
<laughs> you know, relatively fast. Yeah, uh, relatively fast. I started in 2010. Oh, I see. So, uh, you know, fast just, three years. I don't know if that's fast. But. Well, that is for a documentary film, and plus yeah. it shows you're being adaptive to what's happening. You, I had to because yes. each. What was so amazing is that each. I mean, literally, you know. We had the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We had Barack Obama, our first black president, coming out and supporting marriage equality. We had the NAACP. I mean, all these things started to, you know, happen during this time. And the one thing I will say is that in 2008, I had a sense then, I mean, at that point, we didn't know exactly what the next political battle was going to be, but I had a sense then that this was going to be an issue that was going to stay on the political scene and that it wasn't going away. So... You know, I thought it would be uh, the that it'd be that it'd be something to follow, um, and I didn't know where it would end up, but it ended. You know, it it brought me and led me to Maryland. Well, it's so interesting. I think that the there's all these things having to do with the politics and the church, and I found those fascinating. But what I really liked is the personal. You go to um, different people's houses, and they're different families, and different members of the family are having different discussions about. Um, queerness uh, about their children or grandchildren who are gay or lesbian, uh, how people feel about uh, gayness and all these different forms. And it was this really wonderful, intimate moment. And then you do this, uh, this brilliant thing where you have the men talk separately from the women. So the discussions are really kind of different. And I, I love that. So what was it like being there in the room with these people talking about these experiences and um, trying to uh, film it, think of it yourself as a director, but I can imagine it could feel emotional at different moments. Well, at that point, um, I had been uh, following Sharon and shooting Sharon, whose house that scene takes place or those scenes take place, Um, the barbecue scenes where the men and women are talking in, in different spaces. And I'm you know, grateful that she trusted me enough to invite me in to her family, uh, where, you know, there, I think in those scenes, you see the range of viewpoints, um, and not only viewpoints, but people actively grappling with the issue because they have a brother or a daughter or a niece, like most of us do, um, you know, who are LGBT. So, uh, Basically, really what I had to do is just get the conversation. As a director, it was kind of like documentary gold because I didn't actually have to do too much. They were having that conversation. I mean, they, the men went inside, you know, that's what happened, you know. They went inside and had that conversation. The women were having their conversation, and I just had to make sure I, you know, got it on camera. Well, it was so interesting. I mean, because, like, for example, with the men, they're being filmed and they're talking about this. And there's a level of acceptance that um, was really interesting to me that, you know, that talk about stereotypes and this idea that that straight men are going to have a much more difficult time right. relating than what straight women, for right. example. Right. And I think that that upends that, that there is, you know, you see uh, in that scene, you have two or three guys trying to talk to this other guy who's a little bit more re- reluctant um, to accept. And then, you know, you have the debate with Sharon and her um, and her family member and Sharon's family member who's adamantly, you know, opposed. Um, and so it does seem that the men are more open and um you know and i think really what i wanted to do in the film is show the diversity that in, in that is in our community and i think that 
we often don't get to see that, the diversity within the black community uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, we're often told, you know, black people think this or black people do this. And for me as a filmmaker, I wanted to show, because I knew that these conversations were happening. I was having it with friends and family members. Um, and I was witnessing, you know, this evolution taking place. And uh, I think that part of the story needed to be told to understand, you know, where we were on this issue. We're talking to director Yoruba Richin, whose film The New Black is playing tomorrow at Frameline. Now, what was it like convincing these people to be filmed? Uh, Having these, I mean, it's one thing to have the conversation, but to have not only you there, but a crew there and well, talking about it. I think that because I had created a trust level with my characters, they're the ones who brought me in. I mean, they're the ones who were the gatekeepers to their families. So, uh, you know, I think there was a an understanding and a belief that I was... You know, I was coming from a place where I wanted to, I wasn't interested in demonizing anybody. So even if people, you know, disagreed or had viewpoints different from the main characters, not interested in demonizing them. Um, and that I was going to treat their story with care. And I think that as, as a filmmaker, that's my responsibility. And that's, you know, that's my ethical responsibility. And that's what I want to do. So I was, the way that I got in there was through the characters that I knew and had created a trust with. Now, in terms of the the um, folks advocating against marriage equality, uh, also, too, I believe that they, you know, that Pastor McCoy, um, who's the guy who is running the anti-marriage, anti-gay marriage uh, campaign, that he also, I also, you know, let him know that I wanted to include his story and that I was not interested in demonizing. I wanted to understand, and I thought that that viewpoint was a viewpoint that needed to be represented in the film. And so, talking with him, um, were you able to feel like you could just ask him questions, or did you feel like that there was some way, you know, there's like that removed interviewer quality that one we that we can have at certain times and then there's this one where you want to like well let's engage in a discussion i mean he was very um clear and thoughtful in his opinion but what was it actually like for you as the director in those moments well i um i guess the challenge with him in terms of you in terms of your question is that i think sometimes people who are spokespeople like because he was a spokesperson for the movement can have their set responses so the challenge was getting beneath that yes and um and that was you know and as a director you have to figure out how to do that um so you know different ways to ask the question sometimes it's like repeating the question again um asking it in different spaces at different times because i'm filming him over a period of time so i'm hoping that with that we did get breakthrough that um to really understand what was his motivating force and why you know he had taken on this this position of advocating against marriage equality um and you know what his deeper beliefs were around it and then you also interviewed uh this baptist minister who was really in favor of uh 
gay marriage equality and civil rights. I mean, it was a very different position and one that would be really hard to imagine from a Baptist minister. And he also was, I mean, that was, that was really interesting. Well, uh, Reverend Delman Coates, yes. he came out and what happened in Maryland, um, is I think that, you know, a bitter lesson was learned after Prop 8. Uh, and what what you saw in Maryland was that the African American community had to be engaged, be engaged by African American LGBT folks, um, and that the religious community had to be engaged, and the religious black community had to be engaged. And so in Maryland, you had, um, you know, certainly you had ministers who were against it, black ministers against it, but then you had sort of a wave of people like Delman Coates and other black ministers coming out and speaking for marriage equality. And I think that that tipped the scales in a lot of ways. Um, you had the NACP, which is based in Baltimore, come out for marriage equality. I mean, that was a huge deal. So you had this, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it was President Obama um, who created this, you know, tidal wave of support that I think, you know, helped to shift shift the view and, and to pass marriage equality in Maryland. And let's remember that that was the first time that a pu- the public voted on marriage equality and won. That was the first time. So it was a referendum. You know, it wasn't passed by the legislator. It was initially passed by the legislator, but then it went to a public referendum. And that was the first time that the public voted to, you know, support marriage equality. It's 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 really amazing. Like there's this moment when the organizers say, "Okay, this is what we have to do: is we have to go to ten thousand households," <laughs> and you just think, "What a lot of work!" Exactly. I mean, it was amazing yeah. the kind of grassroots that had to happen um, in order to get something like this happen. Totally, totally. Um, and you know what people's response have been to the film, especially <coughs> excuse me, people who've you know, worked or who followed it or who affa- are affected by, you know, by the the legalization of, of marriage equality, you know, to see what that work, that work happening and to see these young people out there, you know, knocking on the doors in Baltimore, uh, riding in their cars to the suburbs of Prince George's County um, and seeing and really engaging people on a one-on-one level, um, you know, I, I hope shed some light on what, how change happens. Well, yes. We're talking with Yoruba Richin, whose film The New Black is playing tomorrow at the Castro Theater at 1.15. And if you think the, the screening was going to be exciting a week ago, it's going to be even more exciting. There's three days left, including today, of Frameline San Francisco. Amazing films. The first film about uh, a lesbian relationship from Nepal. There's really interesting dynamic films on multiple topics. You can go to the website frameline.org to find out more. And uh, or you can go tomorrow to the New Black and see Yoruba. And then uh, a lot of the people who are in the film who are going to be there, I think it'll be a very exciting event. So, Oh, we're thrilled. We're totally thrilled to be at the Castro, to have uh, some of the cast members there uh, and some of our production team there. It's it's quite exciting. You know, the other part about um, that I just want to say, too, is that not only were there victories this week, but uh, there were defeats as well. Yes. And, um, you know, with the gutting of the voting, Rights Act, a lot of us who are both African-American or people of color and LGBT feel mixed this week Um, because, you know, it seems that I keep saying, wow, it seems like someone's always voting or deciding what rights I have, you know, as a black lesbian. Um, 
and and this is a week where certain rights were granted and other ones were taken away. Yes. Um, and so, and I think it's important if we're really going to understand LGBT folks of color and build alliances and keep those alliances that move beyond marriage equality to, you know, to recognize that and that there are, you know, that these battles, we can move forward one step and back two steps or forward two steps and back one step. Yes, this is another out on the streets moment for all coalitions. So thank you so much. Definitely. Um, I want to switch now uh, to a different kind of film at the Pacific Film Archive at the University Art Museum. There is a series on Agnes Goddard. They brought her here for a few of her films. She's worked a lot with Claire Denis. She's worked um, a lot with many interesting filmmakers in France. And she has an incredible vision in terms of how she sees and how she reflects the images that she sees in her cinematography. So I interviewed her her, uh, her film, uh, 35 Shots of Rum, which is a Claire Denis film, is showing at 7 o'clock tonight at Pacific Film Archive, which is at pfabam.org or 510-642-1412. So let's hear a little bit of this interview with Agnes Goddard here Every on Every single film that you have made that has come to this country, I have gone to see. I mean, that your cinematography was so striking. Um that I was so drawn to it and it seems to me that you create that you are able to create so many different kinds of atmospheres in your films and I'm wondering how you think about the process of what of what you're creating in advance well um it's always related to the project, to the script, to the director, and to the locations, because, of course, we mainly work now in natural locations. And um, I think I, um, I just start to observe, to look at things. Because when, for instance, when you choose a location or when you, it's like for a director choosing a, an actor, you, you choose it because, you know, there, there is a reason why. So I try to understand first why this location, for instance, has been chosen, even though sometimes I do participate to the, to the choice. But it's a, I always start with the natural atmosphere. And then we try to see how I can go further in that uh, direction. I am. Uh, I think it's always. Uh, it's not good to contrarier. How can I say that in English? To go against a natural um, state of uh, something, you know. That's for a, you create everything when you are working in a studio, but in a in a natural location, you you have like here, you know, we have already an atmosphere, and I would I would go for that, and then for each film, each film is a singular film, each each film is unique, so. I try to find something new each time because uh, I think uh, to repeat it's a bit boring and um, yeah I think 
Did I answer? Yes, so that there's many different options. There's the uh, you have to take into account the atmosphere of the place. Uh, maybe the atmosphere that the actors create or the story and then the particular sort of vision or personality of the director so how do you negotiate all of those elements together well of course you're right first I read a script so by reading a script you know sometimes uh, you have uh, a few images that uh, comes to your mind come to your mind and uh, actually one image is enough then you 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 sort of have in your mind an image that would be like a stone like an atom and uh, it would be the main guide you would try to to multiply this uh, approach and this is you you can you can find that by reading the script and by talking with the director so combined to the locations to the actors to you know it's a um somehow it's like um you find directions for the cinematography for instance, you know, maybe in advance, that you're going to be shooting mainly in close-up or, or opposite way, far away from, you know. But um, it's a, it's like a puzzle. Everything um, slowly, one after the other, comes together and... Um, will give you the uh, ending form. It's really necessary because cinematography is uh, very important for me as an element de mise en scène. Image for image doesn't exist. Uh, what exists is the image of one film. And I think the image is also part of the story storytelling, you know. So it's really important because you decide with the cinematography what you are going to show and what you are going to not to show to to let out and uh, this balance is very important because uh, this balance will create the uh, um, the flu do you understand the flu fluidity or the current yeah. you know um the the density the it's like a, a circulation you see some you don't see some you know it's like a by what you decide to avoid you know not to show it's like you might create some uh, underground forces somehow that will be will give force to what you will show, you know, s something under. Uh, in other words, I think it's uh, just trying to create a part of mystery. Well, so you're talking about one image, 
maybe for the whole film, but also there that is made up of many different images in each scene. So could you give an example of a film and what you see as the, like let's take the film Sister, for example. What is the overarching image of the mise-en-scene? And then uh, how did you go about specifically trying to create it? Um, concerning Sister, uh, I went uh, on location one year before and um, discovered the mountain. And uh, that's why I thought that we should not see the mountain as a touristic uh, uh, landscape. So I decided that it should be very simple and the shot uh, sort of a part by part, you know, like a metonymy. And opposite way, when I was in the valley, down in the valley, it was so black. I decided that it would be remain dark, but of course we needed color and light will be with color, colorful, opposite way. The poor valley uh, will be sort of a not really realistic and beauty of the mountain <coughs> will be just a sort of a not so colorful just um, this is an interview with um, Agnes Godard whose film that uh, she's the cinematographer of 35 Shots of Rum is playing this evening at Pacific Film Archive. It's an amazing, wonderful film. Um, my name is Raina Cowan. You've been listening to Frame to Frame, Cover to Cover. I want to thank Erica Bridgman, who is uh, the board op, and Laura Privis for technical assistance today. Uh, I will be back next month talking about the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival and a lot more. Hope you'll join me. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>